quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. You're listening to the podcast, so there I was. It's how all great aviation tales begin. This is episode 59. I'll get an A for effort. 59. Yeah, recorded with KO. Yeah, what a fun interview uh, KO was. Our second former Marine enlisted Army helicopter pilot. It's a trend now. It's a trend. <laughs> yeah, and KO was uh, KO's great interview as well. Wow. He was. He was a lot of fun stuff to talk about with him. But a couple other things we need to chat about with our listeners here, Fig. We have our growing glossary page. So all the things that we talk about in the show, like in this show, we talk about Zero School and a couple other things. What that is, it's all in there. An E6B, a slide rule. Yeah. Even got a picture Way of it in the glossary. Oh, nice. And if someone wants to email us, apparently we had... Not our email addresses anywhere on the website. We just announced them every week, and people had to go looking hard for us. So what's your email address, Fig? It's fig at so there I was dot us or repeat. Mine's repeat at so there I was dot us, R-E-P-E-T-E. I'm so clever. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing we started up in the last couple of weeks is our merchandise. We got a merch page, so there I was dot us slash merch. Any cool stuff there worth getting, Fig? Well, uh, you know, there is. I actually I got a couple hats and some koozies on the way for uh, myself, my wife, and some friends. But uh, there's a lot of stuff on there. You know what I didn't see, though, is the bikini. Oh, it's there. you got to go to page two. I didn't go to page two. Jeez. Yeah. There's a couple pages worth of stuff. That's, that's how much cool stuff we have. Hats, T-shirts, polos, koozies, you name it. Go look. If you don't see it and you want it, drop one of us a line. Tell us you want it, and I'll see if we can get it yeah. in there. And we got some new pilots on Patreon this week. Yeah. Scott Christensen and Wayne Batzer. Thank you very much, gents. And John Hall, a.k.a. Sticks. Thank you, Sticks, for stepping up. We appreciate that. When you guys do that, you help us keep the engines running. Yeah, thanks, gentlemen. And we've got a sponsor coming back, Factor. Love Factor. It is so handy, and it is, it's actually the meals are outstanding. Super convenient. Meals in two minutes or less. We're going to talk more about that during the show. And also thanks again to the Dos Gringos for letting us use their music. But let's talk briefly about our friend K.O. He was a Marine ordnance man in VMA 231. So he was one of the young lads that muscled those 500,000-pound bombs up underneath the wings of our aircraft and was always happy to see us come back empty because he didn't want to muscle it back down. Right. Right. He had a tour in Iraq, a tour in Afghanistan. I guess the tour in Iraq was uh, was extended at the last yeah, minute. Yeah, so they had the airplanes, uh, the helicopters were all shrink-wrapped, yeah. and the blades were folded, ready to get put onto the ships, and no such ruck. Unpack them, boys. You're going back in country. So they did that. He had another interesting one that was a lot of fun. He talked about <laughs> a lot of fun, a lot of funny, because he survived. talked about going to jump school when he joined the army guard right after he left the marine corps wound up colliding with a guy and surviving yeah dangled parachute collapsed parachute two guys one shoot basically that was terrifying i think he said the uh, black hat is what they called their instructors came up to him with a bullhorn said bet you're going to church sunday aren't you we were born (laughs) (laughs) yes sir yes sir i am (laughs) now and every sunday well, we're yammering on about it. You know what? Let's get him to yammer some for us. Let's get out of the way and listen to KO. 
Let's get out of the way. What's some good advice for anyone flying a helicopter this week? Repeat, don't sit on the collective. I wouldn't sit on the collective. Maybe you want to try don't let go of the collective? Oh. <laughs> hey, don't let At go night. of the collective. See, that, that, that just shows, uh, first of all, I've only had one cup of coffee. And number two, I don't know anything about helicopters. It's all black magic. There you go. We're going to get out of the way. Here comes KO. Thanks a lot. We really appreciated that. I'm just kidding. No, I'm not. No, he's not. Well, there I was crossing the pond, and you could see that I wasn't. Exactly there I was. Nice. That's there how our radiation team begin. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Coming to you from Lee, New Hampshire. I just want a quick announcement. I got to go over to Hanover, New Hampshire this morning for the Get first out of Friday here. Jarhead breakfast. Oh, man. Restaurant and bakery. So thank you to Jarrett Burke. Got to meet Gunny personally. What a hoot it was. Fun to connect with Marines and sailors and share some time with them. So that was good. So where's my co-host tonight? Uh, I'm in uh, Kansas City. Well, Kearney, Missouri. Boy, boy, am I glad to be here, and I really apologize, <laughs> K.O., for uh, making you wait. My Zulu uh, calculator was AFU, as am I. <laughs> there you go. But we're no back worries, with, Yeah, we're back with K.O. Um, he joined us a couple weeks back, and uh, I just couldn't pull the audio back together. So we're now on a new platform. We're broadcasting live to Rumble, YouTube, and Facebook all at the same time, as well as on StreamYard. So we're going to get solid audio tonight. I can already tell things sound well, great. K.O., hey, former Marine Corps ordinance man, went to college, and some Army first sergeant, master uh, sergeant, yeah. talked him into uh, applying to the warrant officer program to fly those airplanes that have moving wings. That's, <laughs> he that's, did, those aren't and he did, and here, oh, it's terrifying, but, you know, that's, that's those how Those are whirling death traps. Welcome, K.O. <laughs> Thank you for coming back and indulging us. All right, it's thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. And I, I just yeah. want to say, I'm glad you're out of the closet, bro. <laughs> You sound so much better. You look better. It's not as creepy as when you were in the closet with all the clothes hanging there and everything. I mean, literally in the closet. Well, I wanted to stand out, Fig, and apparently I've done that. So <laughs> It's kind of an inside joke. The first time K.O. joined us, he was literally in the closet so that the kid's noise would not bother us. Right. And so now you're out of the closet. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Uh, <laughs> How is it you became, I guess, interested in aviation Well, and in the Marine Corps? You you enlisted in the Marine Corps. You were 18, 19? Uh, I was 17. 17. All right. Right on. Yeah. Growing up, my dad was uh, in the Air Force career, and I, as far back as I could remember, I was obsessed with anything that flew. I just wanted to know more about it. I couldn't know enough about it, but the one little thing that I lacked was academic discipline. So <laughs> I'm not going to get to flight school without that. And- being a young, impressionable in Civil Air Patrol, I thought, well, what's the quickest way I can get out of North Carolina to these exotic places like <laughs> Okinawa, El Toro? So I enlisted in the Marine Corps. I said, I want to do something in aviation. And my recruiter suggested aviation ordinance. I said, will that get me out of North Carolina? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so then I got my orders. VMA 231, Cherry Point, North Carolina. Join the Marine Corps and see Eastern North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a whole three hours from where I was from. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, 
Oh boy. So, so what was that like becoming an ordinance man? Uh, tell me about the school. How did, how does, yeah, where is the school? Where is the tech school? school? Yeah, where's that? the school? What's uh, it like? What, what do they teach you? What do they teach you not to do? Ah, uh, well, at the time, the school was in uh, Millington. I, I think it's okay. since been moved to Pensacola. A lot of uh, basic ordinance types of families, but see, there's several MOSs within the ordinance field, and you really don't know what you're going to get. Everything from squadron level to intermediate level and so on. I really wanted to be on the squadron because I want to be near aircraft. So when I found out that I was going to Cherry Point like an idiot, what does that mean besides North Carolina? <laughs> Uh, I was told that you're going to be on Harriers. Well, what exactly are, are those? <laughs> and who would want to be around those things? <laughs> I, but, you know, it was a, uh, you guys, it was a great experience you know, to an 18-year-old being trusted and taught to work on these aircraft and to do what we did. It was amazing. And I, I can tell you, as a teenager, when you load these aircraft, they come back from a sortie and all the ordinance worked as advertised. I mean, that was that was something that that really gave you a sense of pride and a sense of accomplishment. I could I get that a little job satisfaction, and I I can tell you uh, having been the been the one of the guys that punches the little button and making that making that stuff fall off the airplane. Coming back without ordinance, you could see the ordinance guys uh, they were happy about that. Oh yeah, yeah. It also meant we didn't have to download anything exactly. you didn't do. <laughs> right. Well, the, the Mark seventy sixes weren't too bad because those weighed, yeah, you know, full twenty five pounds. But when you start getting to Mark eighty ones, Mark eighty Mark eighty twos, eighty threes, CBUs, fire bombs, yeah, that 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 was a little more of a challenge. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I, I sometimes I would ask myself, uh, are they sure? I should be doing this because <laughs> being a teenager, are you sure about this? <laughs> what are they nuts? Not an 18 year old handle high explosives. KO KO just said something that triggered a thought. And I want to, I want to verbalize this before it escapes. Actually, I, I'll, I'll write it down. Go ahead. Continue. I'll, I'll come back. No, please fit. Go ahead, man. Firebomb, firebomb. You, you uh, said firebomb. So uh, we're, we're talking uh, napalm, right? Uh, they didn't call it that. It was the Mark right. 77. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, we had, and I know VMA 231 had a, uh, empty Mark 77 that we had a, we put a door, you know, probably a metal shop manufactured a door on it. And that was our cross country pod that we could put <laughs> golf clubs or whatever, whatever. Oh, yeah. Somebody we called that a blivet. A blivet. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. And somebody may or may not have loaded, I don't know, 30 or 40 cases of Australian beer in one of those and brought it back from Australia. However, I just want to go on record as saying there was an airspeed and a G limit when you had the blivet. Do you, do you recall that repeat? Yeah, I do. Now that you mention it. Yeah. And, did and, we, and did there, we observe that is the question. Well, so I can say, I can tell you, there was an airspeed uh, in a, in a uh, G-limit, you know, uh, imposed because it was untested, right? We didn't, have, right? we didn't have data on it. So they said, well, don't do more than three Gs and don't fly more than, you know, 350 knots. Well, I can tell you, I operationally checked that sucker to six Gs and well over 500 knots, and it worked great. <laughs> Okay. Uh, Enough about the blivet. Mark 77 firebomb. Thank you. Yeah. 
Yeah. As far as uh, I was concerned, all the officers and the pilots, when you guys weren't at the squadron or flying, we always thought that you were probably at the O club having lunch with the sec death. As far as I was thinking that as I was swabbing the ready room deck. <laughs> yeah. Cause nobody's around, right? You're like, what? Where are these guys? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you guys were enigmas as far as I was concerned. <laughs> well, when, you know, when the president or vice president wasn't available, we would stoop to the sec def, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> that, conf- that confirms the Lance corporal intelligence there. Repeat. <laughs> no, that's awesome. <laughs> but, um, no, great time. Uh, really grew up there as a corporal, as a CDI or collateral duty inspector. Mm-hmm. I went out to uh, safe an aircraft for flight and, I know that I wasn't following procedure. That's the way I was taught, but it's no excuse. Mm-hmm. Aircraft comes back and two uh, upper chaff buckets are gone. And the a whole, big gash in the, the horizontal stabilizer. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, I thought. Okay, so explain what a bucket is, if you would. Yeah, okay. Yeah, a little uh, square buckets, uh, about, uh, I would say, uh, maybe 15 by 15 inches. Uh, it's a a bucket that uh, houses chaff and flare countermeasures. There's a uh, four on top of the fuselage and I believe four that were on the bottom. And Not the as size as of a 12 pack, if you laid it on its side, there you go. Fish, Thank you. Right? Fig. Yeah. 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 That checks out. So anyway, as an ordinance, it was my job to go out and essentially safe all the ordnance equipment that it was safe to fly. I signed it off. That airplane comes back, missing two upper chaff housings with a gash in the horizontal stabilizer I thought, man, I'm going to the brig. I can't believe I did that. And I had to go see the gunner. Then the uh, AMO, the maintenance officer, was a vapor, Vapor Walsh. Yeah. And I felt two inches tall that I let him down. And, you know, he knew I felt bad. After letting me sit for a minute, he restored my uh, qualifications. And that just, to me, I never forgot that. You know, the point was, is that you don't get through life without screwing up. And he could have hammered me, but he didn't. And he saw something in me as a young kid. And that's just something I've always thought about and I've always appreciated. A nice leadership lesson for you, wasn't it? Oh, wonderful leadership lesson. Thankfully, I was able to pay that forward years later. There you go. I was going to ask you if you got that chance. So yeah. I did. Years later as a flight instructor teaching the Blackhawk course down at uh, Fort Rucker, uh, Fort Novacell. <laughs> as of today, right? Yep. Uh, no, Novacell was April. Too. Oh, was it April? Okay. All right. Yeah, Fort Bragg is June 2nd. is now Fort Liberty. Because, you know. Yeah. But. Can't, uh, can't follow traditions. Sorry. Right. So. Uh, I relinquish my soapbox. So, any close calls, any funny stuff you ever saw in ordinance? In, any hair-raising moments? Well, I, I'm really trying to recall uh, specifically in ordinance. Um, truth be told, I was more afraid of my NCOs. Really, then uh, <laughs> anything technical. Nice. I do recall that uh, I was on the flight deck on the USS Wasp. This was the uh, 2-6 Mu, about 96. And one of our pilots, Major Woodmancy. Yeah, uh, Woody. his name. Yeah. yeah. He was uh, coming into land. He was hovering. And we heard it get quiet. But then the engine came back. What? And I just recall that uh, he was, by the grace of God, he was able to land. Supposedly, the tech reps came out, and they couldn't figure out what happened. But, you know, as an ordinance man, as a a young Lance Corporal, they don't really uh, debrief me on those things. But I just remember what I saw. And it just, it was a reminder that this is an unforgiving business we're in. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Jeez. 
that's that's terrifying. I'm glad. I don't think I'd ever heard that story. No, nope. get Woody on and uh, ask him about that. Yeah, but uh, our OIC for that debt was uh, Major Horn at the time. Maddie. Okay. Another. Yeah. Yep. Another. Another great guy. So, you know, these guys were ten feet tall as far as I was concerned. Do you want to explain what there's a, an acronym and it's not on our glossary? We probably ought to pull it, put it there. I Y O Y A S. Okay. Well, may my <laughs> I see that on uh, the may, door of the ordinance shops all the time. May my English professor forgive me for this. Uh, <laughs> if you ain't ordinance, you ain't shit. <laughs> Eos. <laughs> <laughs> so I used to have fun with. The guys Don't analyze the that too much. No, right? I used to have fun with the guys in in. Uh, in ordinance at 223. So if you are not ordinance, you are not shit. So if you are an ordinance, you are shit. No, oh, sir. Damn it. He, <laughs> I was never asked to pass a literature test to be an ordinance, man. That just never came up. No double negatives, lads. <laughs> I, I, no. I think I asked you this before, K.O., but I'm going to ask it again. Uh, you know, the guys, uh, all the Marines that were in our ordinance shop in 223, they had one thing in common, and they were – Nobody was a pipsqueak. Everybody looked like they spent a couple hours in the gym every day. Oh, was yeah. That, was that you? Yeah. That was – no, I didn't tell you that, but that checks out because okay. you uh, – your first debt, when you're hand-loading all the ordinance, you realize you need to go to the gym. Okay. So, yeah, that checks out. I think that I mean, was because- a – yeah, Common how, denominator. How many, of, how many of you were loading a 500-pound bomb? Yeah. Oh, f- uh, four for the 500-pounders, which weren't so bad. But when you were getting to the 1,000-pounders, that uh, that got a little hairy. You really had to uh, coordinate. So four of you? Oh, four of us. But yeah. you got to understand, on the hernia bar, there's not room for four people to get a full grip. So you kind of had to do the best you could. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so yeah, I, you can understand why we had a problem, why we were aggravated when you guys came back with ordinance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, all this time I thought it was just magic. I thought you guys rolled those out there on some nice rack and the rack just lifted them up. And and you guys lifted put the it up pins in and pulled them. Yeah. yeah. The I switch, just thought it was right? magic. Yeah, that's how it works. No, well, we had a SATS loader, a little bomb lift, but usually we were the bomb lift. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. that's, as they say, that was a peasant joke that you're too rich to understand. Yes. I uh, I was saying all that in jest because I actually got to do that one day uh, under the, the there was much chagrin from the gunny uh, an ordinance shop. But I was like, I want to do this. I want you guys to tell me what to do. I, I want to be part of this. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think this is a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> I did it one time. And I got OK. Thank you, boys. That's all I needed to see. I got it. I know how this works. Yeah. But, you know, at the same time, for someone like myself with, like I said, zero academic discipline, I wanted to see the world. I just wanted to get out and do all those things I've been reading about and being here airplanes. That was a wonderful experience. And that's something that I wouldn't trade. But I left the Marine Corps in 98 and off to college. So my wife and I were both working, going to school full time. And it was in my junior year. And it was a retired Army E8 statistics class that mentioned the uh, Army Warrant Officer Program. And I kind of thought he was messing with me because I I hadn't finished my degree. But just in case he wasn't, I uh, marched down to the nearest recruiter's office uh, that afternoon, and uh, that just, it worked out phenomenally. But uh, but on a side note, while I was uh, in college, I joined the Army Reserve because there was a uh, Army Reserve unit close by, and fortunately, it was a rigor unit, so I got to go on jump status, so I got to jump out of perfectly good airplanes every other drill. 
There's just something. He he flies helicopters and jumps out of airplanes. Damn it, KO. There's just something not right with all that you just said. (laughs) The part about jumping out of perfectly. As you say, it was a rigger unit. So you were actually para-riggers. Right. Air delivery specialist. uh, So we would host up. We would truss up, rig up the equipment, push it out, and jump out with it. So I just, it, it was great times. I know, there's nothing right. There's nothing, there's just nothing right about any of that. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad you think, you know, he's like, Hey, yeah, you just jump out. You push it out and then you jump out. Yeah. No, who does no. that? I, well, I never rode an ejection seat. So you guys have that. I think that's ooh, insane, ooh, ooh. but slow down. I, I never rode it. I, I just sat on it. I, rode I, I, I still think that's never, insane guys. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, no, it was, uh, but it was a great time. Uh, I just said just about a year and a half on jump status. And then, uh, I, the army was fortunately desperate for pilots. So I got picked up for that. And I think the army was lucky at that point. They got you, uh, Uh, hold on. Let's back up. How many jumps? I think a total about 15 jumps outside jump school In jump school. You do the five qualifying. Yeah. So, so over 20. Ish, uh, roughly, yeah. So you're 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 in cat in cat lives. You're all used up right now. So I'd be really careful from here on out. Well, in jump school, I had a little incident. I believe it was my third jump where uh, you're going to say that. Well, we were jumping two doors the first time doing that, and another jumper and I had collided. Hold on, and our sh- hold on. I want you to explain two doors. I know what you're talking about. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, Talk about that. When you look at the back of an airplane, there are two paratroop doors on either side. And when you hear jumping two doors, that means you're staggering left, right, left, right. You're deploying paratroopers out both doors, which timing is everything. Because if you time that wrong, two jumpers can meet in flight. And that's not were good. You, were you jumping out of a C-17 or C-130? Or- uh, this was a C-130. Okay. And uh, so, so our shoot. Uh- that's like jumping off the really high dive at the same time as you landed on the guy in the water, right? I mean, well, I, I was too dumb to quit. How, yeah. How, how do you get, um, how do you, is it the wake, wake of the aircraft that sucks you guys together? If you're going out opposite sides of the airplane, how's that work? Yeah. in the slipstream, if you're not, but, uh, for my incident, uh, our chutes were deployed and we had collided. My chute, uh, wrapped around his, my chute collapsed and they would tell us in pre-jump that a T-10 Charlie parachute will carry two combat-loaded jumpers to the ground, and that's something that it was all theory and academic, something that, yeah, sounds good, but you don't want to test it, but <laughs> son of a bitch, it was true. Nobody wants to <laughs> test that. So you guys tangled up, and you rode one parachute down. We rode one parachute down. You rode his parachute down. Because it rode his parachute down. Tangled yours and so we landed and I'm laying on my back. I'm making sure that all my parts and pieces are still there, that it works. And one of the airborne instructors whom we refer to as black hats or Sergeant airborne comes over with that damn bullhorn. He always carried and said, I bet you're going to church on Sunday. Hi, airborne. <laughs> In every Sunday. I got two questions. What altitude were you guys jumping out at? Probably pretty low. Do you remember? Training. We were probably jumping a thousand feet, which is relatively high. Okay. For, uh, Okay, I figured it was somewhere in there. Okay, then the second question is, uh, was there any conversation before impact? 
after impact, there was some conversation, uh, <laughs> but there wasn't any. Okay. So you got, so his shoot tangled up with yours, collapsed yours. Where, where, I mean, were you close together? Were you within feet of each other before? We I mean, were within were feet of each other. other? Going, oh shit. This is bad type thing. We were looking, we were, we were looking each other's eyes. We were within feet of each other. And uh, for a second, I thought about uh, deploying my reserve, but then the thought of, well, if that reserve deploys, it could deflate the main chute that's keeping us alive. So I decided to hold off on that. And that's uh, bad on the good, bad scale. Well, he looked at me and said he was sorry. And I said, not half the sorry you're going to be when we get down, you bitch. I I said some things I regretted, but, uh, well, Hey, you know, it might've been it. So yeah. Right. You like, you were basically, if I live through this, you know, you're going to get it. Well, once we landed and all my parts worked, all thoughts of violence just went away. I was just happy to be alive and still functioning. So I'm glad it worked out that way. KO. Me too, Fig. Me too. <laughs> I really am. Well, my thought but, would uh, be that you could, you could, could you not break away from him and deploy your chute separately from him? No, because our our um, our suspension lines had entangled, so we weren't going anywhere uh, except down. Yeah, <laughs> you were going down. That's true. Yeah. So <laughs> gravity's but, a bitch. Yes. Yes, she is. So I had a good time, but I mean, as crazy as it sounds, I really had a good time on jump status. Just something to break up the monotony of going to school and working full time. Yeah, I get it. So, I mean, you guys are the guard. Yeah. So when I got word that I got picked up for flight school, I thought, this has got to be a mistake. Have they really (laughs) read my packet? I was a Marine. In fact, I called an Air Force Reserve recruiter after I got out to see if I could continue to serve that way. And the recruiter actually told me as a former Marine, I was damaged goods. Those are the words he used. Are you kidding me? I, he told me that straight on the phone. Not sure he would have said that to my face, but he told me that on the phone. (laughs) That guy was a douche. You don't want anything to do with the Air Force Reserve. I'll tell you that. Well, it, it, it all worked out, Fig. But, uh. <laughs> hey, to the Air Force Reserve brothers and sisters that are out there, you know, I'm just poking the bear here, okay? So that's, don't get all crazy. That's what we do here, by the yeah. way. Yeah. You know, that's Fig at so there I was that you <laughs> I can I can speak ill of the Air Force because I, I spent half of my military career. I finished one. my military yeah. career in the Guard, Air Guard. All right, so... <laughs> You know, and I butted heads with those sons of bitches every day, too. It's okay. We got through it. We all it's got okay. It. It's okay. Yeah. But, <laughs> but, so um, that, you got talked into going to in the flight school. Yeah. So we and, had uh, started uh, so out. Tell to, me about that. Well, started out uh, warrant officer candidate school, uh, six week, uh, I guess, uh, similar to OCS, just a lot of stress, a lot of, uh, a lot of time management, it, it, it was a good experience and it does prepare you for, because we know aviation is detail oriented, but, uh, yep. so, uh, on to flight school and to a lot of academics before you step inside of an aircraft and first aircraft in primary training was a, a TH-67 or the Bell 206, the pretty uh, common helicopter. I think the Navy uses that as well. Uh, the TH-55, right? I think you guys call it, or the 57. The Jet Ranger. Uh, Jet Ranger, right? Yeah, yeah the Bell Jet yeah. Ranger. What was fortunate when I was going through flight school, all of our instructors were Vietnam veterans. So just the experience that these guys brought to the table, it was such a blessing because these guys wrote the book on it. And it was just, I was in awe to be in the same room in these, as these guys. 
Right. But, so in uh, primary, where you just learned how to physically fly the aircraft, I was one of the first guys in my class to actually master hovering. And I use master with air quotes, but that's, uh, I, I got really cocky. I, I got a little too cocky. So when we moved on to instruments and I realized when I started that, my confidence was stupidly inflated and that put me back in my place. <laughs> so my instructor, God bless him. He really tried, but he couldn't understand why I couldn't understand it. It was like some with a PhD teaching kindergarten. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so. I like that. He couldn't understand that. I couldn't understand. No, yeah. no, yeah. I, I, every day it's like not being able to swim, but you're thrown in the deep end. You have to be pulled out. But I was moved to another instructor and oh my God, just the third eye opened and somehow I was able to figure this out. Well, everybody nice. has a different teaching and learning style. You just needed to get uh, paired up with the right style. Absolutely. So after instruments, you had basic combat skills where you can learn to actually employ the helicopter. In this case, it was the uh, OH-58, which is the military version of the Jet Ranger into a tactical environment. So we learned how to scout from the air using the old one over 50,000s map, a ruler, and an E6B. Nice. I, I doubt I could do that now. but no. uh, I, There's no way I could. I, 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 there's no way I could. <laughs> yeah, but you know the batteries will never die on that thing. A, a round slide rule. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. For lack yeah. of a better, yeah. Yeah. I just, that's, I just uh, gave my old one away not too long ago. Uh, they're it actually was, pretty uh, neat pieces of gear. They work so well once you learn how to use one. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're super efficient. And it's a lot easier than punching numbers in a calculator type. You can uh, you can spill coffee on it and it's still going to work. That's right. right. You don't have to worry about it shorting out. You don't need to recharge it. It always works. Yeah. We had that problem yeah. a lot in Harriers, didn't we, Fig? Spilling yes. coffee on our, uh, you know, yeah. and then the catering. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah never. Not one Not so time much. did I. I had that problem never. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. I remember uh, having to clean up a few cockpits from you guys. I'll, uh, I'm not going to drop any names on that, but whoa, yeah. Whoa. Whoa. Wait, wait, wait. What do you mean clean up a cockpit? I don't understand. Wait, like uh, from food or from? Uh, yeah, from food uh, a couple of times. In fact, who the hell's got one, time pre digestive food? Or, uh... Yeah. Well, I, and I'll say this one, uh, one pilot, a Harrier pilot who I'm not going to name, uh, I tried to joke with him about he owes ordinance a six pack of beer because he left the master arm switch on. And, oh, uh, shit. Well, he was, I, I thought I was, it was a joke. That's what I'm, but he didn't take it as a joke. And, uh, that put me back in my place. <laughs> oh, oh, so they, so it wasn't on, you were just saying that. No, no, it was, but then oh, he shit. went on to remind me of all the uh, mistakes that ordinance has made and how our shop needs to, Look into ourselves. Yeah, it, it wasn't pretty. <laughs> wow. Okay, Lighten up, Francis. Right? Wow. Well, I, <laughs> I scurried away and, you know. I, well, so, okay. I, all right. Let's, let's not go there. I, I, okay, I want to say one thing. Master arm switch is kind of, kind of a big damn deal. That's all I'm saying about that. Yeah. Well, when you come back with that still on, anything can happen. Yeah. Okay. So. Enough about that. Well, all right. anyway. Not about that. Let's talk about flying, and let's talk yeah. about you flying in particular. How long did it take you to get your wings, and then what did you do after that? Uh, about a year and a half total. At the end of flying portion, you have what's called a basic course, which at the time, that was professional development, your SEER training, and aircraft selection. Okay. So did you, you like have a quick SEER. Did you, yeah. guys, did you guys go uh, to an off-site location for SEER training, or did you do it all right there? 
they had it all right there. Okay. At okay. Uh, good old South Alabama. I think and, we've mentioned it before, but it's SEER, S-E-R-E, Survival, Escape, Resistance, and, and Survival, Evasion, Resistance, and Escape. Boom. Yep. Well done, sir. Well done. Trying to hit just all learn that you, as we go. <laughs> you just don't want to be a prisoner of war is what the, the take out of that. But everyone in our class, it happened to, uh, we all got the aircraft of choice. Uh, so how they did that was they say, okay, we've got, say, 10 Blackhawks, 10 Chinooks, 5 Apaches, 558s. And guy on top of the class, you've got the highest GPA. What do you want? And then so on and so on. And now the next day you're going to get your assignment because they don't want guys picking airframes based on duty stations. <laughs> I can understand that. So I had a choice of Korea or Fort Drum, and I don't like the cold. So Korea was a one-year tour. Fort Drum, New York was three years with probably a Korea hat on. Hey. And <laughs> I decided to go to Korea. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, hint, it gets really cold in Korea. Just saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but and that, uh, and that one year was unaccompanied. It actually turned out to be 15 months. Because of the invasion of Iraq, we were extended. Oh, great. Okay. So, but worst thing, there's worse places to be extended. Can uh, I uh, can I make an assumption? That, please. Uh, there was a detailed discussion about all the options with Mrs. K.O. There was, and thankfully, was a- she is as tough and understanding as they come. My father-in-law served in Vietnam as a retired airline captain, so she understands. So, yes, that segues into this point. None of us could do the things we do if we didn't have uh, great support from home. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And uh, if, only that, if only that was the uh, worst news. But I signed into Fort Bragg, signed into the, the Medevac, the 57th Medical Company, the original dust-off, as it's called. And I was told, don't unpack. And a month later, I was on my way to Iraq to meet up with the company. At uh, Camp Spiker. <laughs> so you uh, bypassed Korea? I left Korea after 15 oh. months. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I signed into the rear detachment at Fort Bragg and then oh. uh, on my way to Iraq. You didn't get a chance to let the ink dry or probably your skivvies dry, but get them home, <laughs> get them washed, and they're still wet and time to go. Nope. Wow. Nope. Uh, be flexible. So, uh, But I, I got there in uh, October of 2003. And we were supposed to come home in March, which, all right, that's not the worst thing in the world. And we were in Kuwait. We were four days from coming home. Our All of our helicopters were shrink-wrapped, blades folded, ready to push on the boat. When uh, the Anbar province blew up with all the insurgent activity, we got extended for three months. That, that had to be a big uh, kick in the junk for morale. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, but, <laughs> but you also realize... Uh, what we were doing was important, and as much as it was, it's, hey, man, it's time to stop feeling sorry for yourself. There's guys out there that need you. So, Hey, uh, we, I might have missed it. Um, did you say what aircraft you were flying? Yeah, UH-60, Blackhawks. 60, Blackhawks. Okay. All right. Just, just making sure. Yeah, that was, uh, that was a pretty intense deployment. And this goes back to when I talk about leadership and things that you never forget. My very first mission— it was another down Blackhawk. We don't know what downed it, but we've got to get to the crew. The radio sounded like tobacco auctions. You're trying to pick out what's important to you. And crazy times. Well, uh, thankfully, we got the crew. 
We got everyone out of there. And afterwards, my crew chief comes up to me, puts his arm on my, arm on my shoulder and said, you did good, sir. And <laughs> just, I thought, wow, if only you knew how scared shitless I was. Nice. <laughs> nice. Okay. Well, up to now, we've talked about where you've gotten and how you've gotten there. And uh, I think now we want to find out some of the crazy flying that you got to do. So let me uh, take just a couple minutes to talk about some of the people that help make this show possible for everybody. Folks, you can help us by patronizing the sponsors. If you can't join us at patreon.com, patronize the sponsors and encourage them to keep help bringing this show to you. Hey, Fig, have you heard about Factor? It's America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit. They deliver these amazing meals straight to your door. Oh, really? That could be a game changer for us pilots constantly on the go and all. Absolutely. And during the prime spring season, when we need convenient meals to fuel us for our flights, Factor can be a lifesaver. No more worrying about finding wholesome food when we're in a hurry. I couldn't agree more. With Factor, we can skip the grocery store, skip the chopping, the prepping, and have so much time. Just imagine the convenience of having ready-to-eat meals. And the best part is that their meals are fresh, never frozen, and ready in just two minutes. No need to sacrifice taste or quality when we're pressed for time. That's true. Plus, they offer different options to cater to our dietary needs and goals. If we're watching our calorie intake, they have calorie smart meals with around or less than 550 calories per serving. And for those days when we need an extra boost of energy, their protein plus meals with 30 grams of protein or more per serving will come in handy. It's perfect for keeping us alert and focused during our flights. Absolutely. Repeat. With Factor's diverse menu, we don't get bored either. They have options that fit different lifestyles, including keto, vegan, plus veggie and more. It's like having a personal chef. Don't forget the add-ons. We can supplement our meals with breakfast items like their delicious apple cinnamon pancakes or replenish our snack supply with their assortment of 45-plus options. That sounds like a dream come true. Not only is Factor a convenient choice, but it's also a sustainable one. They offset their delivery emissions, source renewable electricity, and even offer sustainably sourced seafood in their meals. Oh, that's fantastic to hear. So let's head to factormeals.com slash so there I was 50, five zero, and use the code so there I was 50 to get 50% off our first box. It's time for us to enjoy delicious meals without the hassle. I'm with you, repeat. Code so there I was 50 at factormeals.com slash so there I was 50 for 50% off your first box. Let's savor every bite and keep soaring through the skies with full bellies. Cheers to that, Fig. Here's the fueling up, saving time, and conquering the skies with Factor by our side. So you find yourself over in Iraq. Yeah. <laughs> People are, uh, now, now you're not just shooting downrange. People are shooting back. And Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was that like? It was, uh, it was a steep learning curve because up to that point, everything was academic. And, uh, Quick story that uh, reminds you of where you're at is uh, when I'd first gotten there, I was just doing administrative things because the unit was so busy. They didn't have time to do the uh, progression and the local air orientation. So one of the uh, medics asked me if I could go with him to the outer perimeter because they purchased a giant generator in uh, the city to crit. So sure. So he and I drive down there and we see this thing come up. It's this giant uh, generator on a Mercedes flatbed. And uh, the interpreter was there, and they're having a conversation. I'm just standing there. I don't know why other than just to stand there. And the sergeant says, well, sir, I need you to get in the truck with them. 
And I look at him. I said, are you, are you just having fun with me? Cause I'm the new guy. <laughs> right. And he said, no, he says, no, really, sir. I need you to do that. And I said, I thought the interpreter was going to do this. Well, he's got to stay here. Why would he do it? Okay. okay. Well, I, I'm thinking they probably have enough explosives in this thing to put a dent in the world. And I'm supposed to ride in the truck with these guys. So I uh, looked at the interpreter and I said, hey, I need you to translate something for me. And I pulled the slide back on my M9 to make sure I had a round in there. And I said, tell these guys <laughs> that if they uh, deviate from the route, I probably can't drop them all, but I'll get an A for effort. And <laughs> I'm not sure they were convinced because I, like I have no idea how that translated from English to Arabic. But <laughs> everyone was well behaved, thankfully. I like that story. Yeah. And I'm glad they were well behaved. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. It was intense. How long a ride was that? Uh, about 20 minutes. Okay. Daytime or nighttime? Uh, it was daytime. Great. And was there traffic, a lot of traffic? like stop No, this was really inside uh, Camp Spiker. So it was a really big outer perimeter. So okay. thankfully, we weren't riding downtown. But I, as I'm in the truck, I'm thinking, well, I really hope they were properly vetted. Right. <laughs> You're going to be the first one to a terrorist attack. Yeah, either I'll know or I won't. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, You'll know for a split second. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Damn it. Probably my last words. But uh, but yeah, me too. So but it was uh, as a medevac company, we were pretty busy and understand that the unit that uh, I was in had already been in country eight months. And here I show up as a brand new pilot. And these guys are just the consummate professionals. And I was just trying to live up to that. But after one particular mission, it was about a zero two local zero illumination. We get a nine line request, which is a medevac request. And as we're landing on this little dust strip, the guy I was flying with, I'm in the left seat. He's a pilot in command. And there's a tailwind. And I told him, I said, hey, well, there's a tailwind. Yeah, Roger. Okay, well, he knows what he's doing because he's been here. Well, about 60 feet off the ground, that's when we were completely enveloped in the dust. And I lost all visual references. It's dust land, brown out, or degraded visual environment. And once that happened, I said, we should go around. And he just, <laughs> I said, I got it. Okay. Well, when we hit the ground, we were left wheel low, and we started sliding. So <laughs> it was long enough to where I thought, I locked my harness because I thought we were going to roll. And it seemed forever, but in reality, it was probably about three seconds. And that brought me back in the moment. So I pulled both engines offline. He managed to keep the aircraft upright. And I think looking back that we were in shock because we got out of the aircraft, everybody okay. We kind of went over it with flashlights and we talked amongst ourselves if everybody's comfortable flying it back. And we flew it back. And I, <laughs> I don't think the commander really got the full picture on what happened. And uh -oh. they gave us another aircraft and by this time, when I got in the spare aircraft to finish our first up shift, I remember my knees were shaking. But, hey, if these guys are doing it, I'm doing it. And okay. the next morning when the sun came up and we saw the uh, actual extent of the damage on that aircraft, we realized that flying it back probably wasn't the world's best decision. What kind of damage? Oh, the, uh, the left strut was bent in. A good portion of the stabilator in the back was gone. Uh, it was... It's, it looked like some airframe crinkling. It was, we, we really had no business flying that aircraft back the way we did. What? 
So, well, what would have been your other options? Call for another bird to pick you up and yeah, most likely. But again, you know, in a situation like that, you convince yourself it's not as bad as it is. And we all decided we didn't want to spend the night out in Indian country either. So that was the option. The, uh, and, and the commander at the time, I'm really glad. Another good example of leadership is uh, our post-accident evaluation was the following night and we were back on the schedule. And wow. if I had time to really think about what happened and what could have happened, I don't know if I would have climbed back into another aircraft, to be honest. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, that was a good call then. Get uh, your ass back out there, right? right on the horse, That's, yeah. but again, it's just to his leadership. I mean, God bless that man. <laughs> but thankfully, you know, we, we finished the deployment. Well, we thought we were finished. Then we got sent back in for three months. <laughs> good time. But, yeah. And we were blessed to get through with everybody and everything, but we knew we were going back in 2005. Wow, so that's so, a pretty quick turnaround time. Yeah, but in those days, that was true across the board. I, yeah. I mean, when you were there, you knew if you were staying in the military, you were rotating back. The question yeah. wasn't if, but when. Yeah, 18 months in the bucket it was a, was the air guard uh, cycle. Every 18 months, we were back in the rotation. Yep. So I don't yeah. know what it was like for you guys. But. Well, we got a couple more months. Stay, we got about three more months stateside because of our extension. So that turned out to be a blessing. But even back in the States, we were pulling medevac coverage at the uh, Mountain Ranger Camp in Dahlonega and coverage on Fort Bragg. So it wasn't really time off, but we were. it was all geared toward getting ready for the next deployment. And on that next one, that was uh, 2005, 2006, was at uh, Balot. Air base. I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with that. I've been to Balad multiple yeah. times. Yeah, I know where it is. That was a pretty busy time, too. <laughs> north side. That's just the north side of Iraq, right? Yeah, it's between uh, Tikrit and Baghdad, north of Baghdad. Yeah, no, I. that's why I meant Baghdad. Yeah, it's right in between. Uh, it's just north of Baghdad. Yeah. 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 Uh, you had F-16s there, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, F-16s. And, you know, you're sitting in your hooch watching a movie. You hear the afterburner take off. Just pause it because uh, now you're, his wingman's going to be right behind him. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the one thing that really stuck out about that rotation, we had a uh, on a, a nine-line request, we launched two ships by this point. You had lead and chase. And... On this particular time, Chase had to pick up the Rams team. That's an acronym, which I don't remember what it stood for, but it was a team of firefighters whose specialty is cutting guys out of mangled vehicles because that's what you're going to see with a lot of these IEDs. We got a call for a vehicle rollover on uh, the MSR Tampa, the main military supply route. So I pick up the Rams team. Lead gets to the site, and it's a contracting vehicle, but it's turned over. The driver's trapped inside. And what's interesting is the security was one lone Iraqi policeman that when he saw the two medevac birds show up, he just drove off. So what? I, well, yeah. This. Not a yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I, yeah, yeah. We, we, the truth is we didn't because we're sitting on the ground and talking amongst the lead ship and some of the villagers were coming out and we decide that we need to get some over the horizon comms here because uh, everything was line of sight. So I, okay. I'm circling, and some of these villagers are coming out. It looks like they're throwing rocks. And okay, so just just to be clear here, what you're talking about is your radio only goes a few miles. Correct. Few miles. Yeah, it's so all it was all line of sight altitude, so they could so their line of sight was back further back to the camp to get yep. help. 
Okay. Yeah. yeah. So at this point, I'm putting out a call on the radio for some gunship support. And, you know, these villagers, they're, they're all pretty brazen. I mean, I'm sure some of them were curious, but some of them becoming hostile. And I'm doing attempt to do a diving run to think, to make them think I've got guns, which we don't. My crew chief had an M4 and uh, I had briefed him that, hey, if they don't get it by this point, I'm going to have you fire a warning shot. If they don't get it by that point, just remember our job is to protect our sister ship. And that's what we have to do. And uh, that's when, uh, you know, five Apaches show up and that's you're about to get in a street fight and five of your big brothers show up. So that nice. was a beautiful sight. I, yeah. I take back some of what I said about Apache drivers. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> we, so, we all well, flipped. Let me ask, when you were doing these uh, uh, simulated gun runs, did you have uh, a, a big red and white target with perpendicular lines on it? I sure did. Red cross? Yeah. I have. Well, we <laughs> all we had was uh, harsh looks and harsh language. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That they didn't understand, by the way. No, but they did know that we had no combat multiplying weapons. So, um, so the Apache, uh, shows up on station. I, I briefed those guys up and again, great sight. It was just, uh, probably one of the most, the greatest feelings of relief I can recall. And one of them does a low uh, dry pass and it was Moses parting the Red Sea. I mean, these yeah. guys know what the Apache is and I think it, it made them rethink what they were about to do. And the Apache lead asked me, he said, well, hey, dust off. If you still think they're too close to your sister ship, we could put some rounds their way. I said, no, nah, hold off, guys. I think they got the message. <laughs> but um, but while this is going on, uh, my talk, my tactical operations center is uh, calling me. And I, I was a little coarse because, you know, you've got your hands full at a moment like this. I don't think that my boss knew what was going on. So as soon as they uh, extract the driver, we get him to the hospital I get back to our area, I shut down, and my my platoon commander comes up to have a few words with me, but at this point, I'm coming down from all the adrenaline. So as he's yelling at me, he really sounds like Charlie Brown's teacher. I, I really don't understand a word that he's saying, but I noticed that he's got a water bottle in his hand, and I thought, shit, I'm thirsty. So as he's yelling at me, I just took the bottle out of his hand and chugged it. He looks at me, and I said, I'm sorry, sir, what were you saying? Yeah, what, what was that last part? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we, yeah, well, we laugh about that later, but I assured him, I say, Hey, I wasn't trying to establish a power dynamic. I was just really thirsty. Right. (laughs) Even though I did. I (laughs) know. Well, but Hey, sometimes an ass chewing is required by law. It's nothing personal, just business. Yeah. We all get that. It's, that's fine. That's a good story. Wow. So while we're right there, let me ask you this, because uh, yeah. I know how, you know, it went for me. So you come down off that adrenaline that you had and did you, you know, is that when you get the, that when you get the shakes and then you just feel like you can't keep your eyes open anymore type thing and you need like a power nap or how did it affect you? Uh after a mission like that, where you, you were all keyed up and then there was a lot of adrenaline involved. I just remember having to sit and it was just after the adrenaline came down, like you said, it was a uh, fatigue. It was just really, uh, like massive you're just, fatigue. yeah, you're just sitting there and then you really play back of what could have happened, what did happen. It's like, man, that could have easily gone the other way. Yeah. The human mind is funny like that too. You, <laughs> into any, you know, 
be it a car accident or anything that, that that's an adrenaline pump, the mind goes back to that and relives it over and over again until it processes it, and then you know it eventually fades away. It's it's a strange but interesting phenomenon. Yeah. So it was uh, it was a pretty intense time. Uh, so, but uh, again, I was blessed to do it, and I tell people the real work is done by the crew chiefs and the medics. I can't say enough about those folks. God bless them. I've yeah. seen them do some amazing things. Right. Yeah. Did we establish, uh, and I think we did, let's just make sure. Uh, I think you and I had a little overlap in, at Bagram. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I was there from uh, December of 2008 to uh, December of 2009. Yeah. Okay. So I was there August through uh, October of 2009. That was my first, okay. first time there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think you were Chrome on the radio. Yeah, uh, well, it depends on the the, the mission, but Chrome yeah. was a lot of them. Yep. Yeah. yeah so I, uh, I told you, my bee hut, my my plywood, you know, house was r- right next to the flight light. I mean, you couldn't oh. get. Yeah. So <laughs> that's uh, that's where a crew rest happens, right? Yes, lots of crew rest. The the best crew rest ever. Yeah. Oh yeah. In, in ninety second increments, right? <laughs> Oh yeah, twenty four seven air operations. You had F sixteens, roll. You know, burner takeoffs. We had F fifteens there, F fifteen E's. Of course, uh-huh. uh, you know, you had the 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 UHS uh, the H uh, sixty guys bringing the the hospital was just north of our little compound there, and so yep. the helo pad where they would come in was right right there. And then uh, at the time there was like four or maybe six Navy E eight. EA sixes parked. EA sixes, yeah. And they would come into the break and go full power with their boards out just to make a lot of noise. Oh, oh, geez. oh they were the loudest thing in town. I and swear the EA six was louder than the Harrier. It was a, yeah, oh absolutely. Yeah, I, I I could agree with that. And I don't know if you guys had this, but in Bagram, by this time I was with the hundred and first uh flying, I was in an air assault unit. There was a, the controllers there. Uh, the, the air traffic controllers were civilian, but they were Air Force trained. And in a lot of ways, they didn't know how to deal with helicopters. And there was some problems. There was one particular controller that, man, I swear an Army aviator broke her heart because she hated man, Army guys. Well, she was even cutesy when the Russians came in. But once she heard one of our call signs, boy, she spring loaded to the bitch position. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. That's, that's a show title repeat. <laughs> she. <laughs> But uh, a bitch. yeah, she was uh, you were holding on the right base until you called fuel critical. In fact, one time in particular, I need you to hold on right base. I've got a C-17 on a 20 mile final, 20 mile final. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. In fact, there was one where um, I'm flying with someone that outranks me. I'm the pilot in command. She I asked for a turnout north of the tower. She tells me over avoid overfly the FOD vehicles. I do exactly. Then she gets on with my call sign. What are you doing? I said, ma'am, I'm doing exactly as you instructed. Mark tapes. And as soon as I said that, the gentleman I'm flying with keys the mic and said, no one likes you, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, <laughs> That's it could be another show title. Well, <laughs> I, 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 well, I looked over at him. I said, "Thanks for that." Now you think yeah. she just marked tape? You think I can follow through with this? She thinks of uh, oh god. Well, what wasn't your voice? Well, I needless to say, we didn't hear anything more. So maybe this was mutually assured destruction. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, they were they were tons of fun. So, 
It was, uh, it, it could be difficult. I think, in fact, our uh, brigade and hire had to get involved on with this because it, it was, it was becoming dangerous. How about this? Sharona. Ah, uh, Bob Sharona. Sharona. Oh, so, yeah. Uh, I know this wasn't in uh, 2009, but in 2010, 2011, when I went back, there was a controller that worked at Sharona that everybody was talking about. Nobody knew what she looked like, but her voice, right? Her, her voice was <laughs> just in, insanely sexual. Okay. So you yeah, don't meet your hair. operator for don't a controller. You'll be yeah. disappointed, Fig. What? So, no, no. So, so the, the, uh, so everybody's talking about her. And I'm like, you know, she, you know, everybody, she, she weighs 400 pounds. She's five <laughs> foot two and weighs 400 pounds. No way. She's, you know, she's, so on this one particular, Night, because we only went in another night, because it was kind of in a shitty neighborhood, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, we were doing engine running offload, and I said, "Okay." So the co-pilot says, "You got the brakes, you got it, you got the jet, you got everything." I'm gonna go. I had a digital camera. I'm gonna go get a picture of. So I, I said to her, "I said, hey, shoot me a IR uh, strobe from your tower. I'll see where you are." And of course, I got MVGs on. I was like, "Oh shit, it's right here." Okay, I'll be right back. <laughs> Thinking I'm going to get a picture and I'm going to show everybody she's a, she's a gargoyle, right? And, <laughs> and so I get off the airplane and I'm running and running and running and running. It's pitch black, pitch black. Of course, I was on MBGs. My eyes are all screwed up anyway. Running and running and running. And then I realized I've been running so far that I can't hear the airplane engines anymore. Uh-oh. And I'm looking at my watch. And I'm like, I don't oh, know how no. long am I running? And so I, and by the way, I'm running past helicopter revetment startling people and i'm starting to think through minefields no i'm starting to think i'm going to get shot you know somebody's going to think i'm coming through the wire or something so i think okay this is bad this is bad idea i got to go back so i go back of course the airplane's buttoned up there's an army general sitting on the bunk he hands me the coin when i get on he goes oh yeah like how long you guys been done we've been done 10 minutes dude we were wondering where the heck you were all right so fast forward Fast forward. Did you get a picture? No, I didn't get a picture. I don't know where the hell this thing is. So fast forward like four days later, we're there at Sharona. And we're there in the wee hours. And while we're there doing the engine run and offload, this, it starts getting light. And it's the first time I've been there where I can see shit. So I'm pointing in the direction that I ran. And this is getting lighter and lighter. And I can see more and more. My heart sank. Because I saw where I ran. I ran down this little trail that was a 30 or 40 foot drop off to the left. It, oh. Nothing but jagged rock. I mean, how I didn't die that night for being a dumbass, <laughs> it wasn't my time. I ran not once, but twice back and forth down this little shitty trail with a drop off on one you side. You were a man on a mission, Fig. Yeah, and I failed, but I lived. We've proved that before, though, right? I mean, we (laughs) talked about Nacho before. When it's not your time, it's not your time. It wasn't my time, bro. Deck at five hundred. And I probably would have died. I just would have been mangled up and deformed, and you know, broke everything, and probably lost my teeth. Probably a new call sign. Yeah, probably been you know, Commander Dumbass. (laughs) Right on. (laughs) At the risk of extending it and going sort of in the same place, I actually heard this working the ASAP one time. So, aviation safety action program true story swear to god this i heard this with my own ears but we had to put our phones down to prove we weren't recording all right there had been an altitude deviation and 
the FAA had to go and find the tapes and pull the tapes and listen and see what happened and all. And while he was listening, he goes, oh, I want you to hear this. But everything down. Go, okay. And it was, uh, let's pick a center that it wasn't. So it was uh, Seattle Center. Checking in at uh, 320. Roger United 325. Uh, hey, you got time for a question? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, that controller on the previous uh, frequency, uh, on a scale of 1 to 10. <laughs> the controller goes on a scale about 285. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. that's great. Yeah. Thank was, you for uh, that. I, yeah. I needed that. That was, that was nice. Okay. Okay. All right. I, nice. But I swear to God, heard it with my nice. own ears. Not not a BS story. It it really happened. So, That's awesome. Um, all right. <laughs> so let's get back to why we're here. Though is, is all the cool and scary crap that you did, Gail. You're over there in Iraq. Did some medevacs. I didn't ask this before, but did you have any evacs where you were particularly satisfied or particularly disappointed? One that went one way or the other based on who you picked up and what you were doing. You know, I mean, people think of medevac, you know, they go back to the 1970s and MASH and, you know, Gurney's exterior and that kind of stuff. Paint us a picture. What was that like doing medevac and guys bleeding out or trying to bleed out and Corman saving them? You know, you're loaded to it a little bit, but. Well, it was really, looking back on it, it was emotionally taxing. And everyone had their own way of dealing with it. And one of the mistakes that I made is I brought in an American who was wounded pretty bad. And I made the mistake of later on calling up to the uh, cash to see the combat support hospital to find out about him. And I was told that he had passed about 20 minutes prior to my phone call. So at that point, I started to second guess everything I did. If I should have done this, I should. But in reality, there was nothing we could have done. The crew, we did everything that we could have done. Everything that could have been done, we did do. And... You know, thinking about it, it was all right. That's just my own damn vanity to think that I could have changed any outcome. But, you know, after that, I really didn't want to know their names. I really didn't want to know what happened to them. I just for my own emotional well-being, it said, hey, as a crew, we did everything we possibly could have done. And that was it. Now, I know one particular. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Just saying, you know, I, I get that. You know, things become overwhelming. You have to tune them out. You know, turn off the news sometimes. You just have to. Yeah, the medics or whom I really, well, and crew chiefs especially too, who I admire the most, because a lot of times the crew chiefs, in addition to their uh, mechanical duties, they're assisting the uh, medic. Either they're doing chest compressions or whatever the medic needs. Can you believe that? Isn't that something? I mean, it's just just a blessing to work with some of the, I mean, these amazing individuals. That, That was just, it was just, it was a humbling experience. One thing that this mission really did for me is that, you know, before you feel sorry for yourself, just, hey, you've got all your parts and pieces and you're still here. So stop complaining. That's uh, usually the conversation I have with myself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we uh, we would on occasion do med, um, the band, bandage mission where we'd fly all over Afghanistan to all the different fobs and pick up wounded yeah. guys that had been brought into fobs. Mm-hmm. And, and take them back to uh, Bagram. Those were rough days. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, with Bagram, though, that's what was interesting is Bagram itself could be very garrison-like, as you know, Fig. You come back from a mission or you're doing a hero flight, which is you're taking, you're picking up an American uh, killed in action. Somebody tells you to put your cover on or it's, <laughs> yeah. 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 
Yeah. Well, you know, and it got so because my job at that point, I was I was on staff. I still flew quite a bit, but I was a tactical operations officer. So when I had to leave the flight line to go over to the PX to get a haircut or what have you, I, I just I got tired of saluting and returning salute. So I managed to get a sling from the aid station. So whenever I had to go leave the airfield, I just put my right arm in a sling. That's a good, that's a good call. <laughs> so, but, uh, some of the guys were picking up on it and I, I hung it up. So if anybody was going to the PX and their arm was tired, they just grab it. It just kind of became a communal thing. Perfect. A lot of right arm injuries over in our area. Weird. <laughs> Weird I'm guessing how that you was. didn't have to carry a sword for that either. Is uh, so as Gunny put on our show yeah. <laughs> two weeks ago, by the time you hear this episode in the podcast, uh, what, what kind of officer doesn't carry a sword? An one-armed uh, officer. One officer, sir. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, just a logistics type uh, question for you. When you guys, when you were at Bagram, uh, where did you, were you south of, say, the tower? Were you south? Was that where you guys were hooched up? We were, yeah, we were across the airfield from the functioning tower, but we were on the same side as the old Russian tower. Oh shit! So you're on the west. You're on the west side or east side right. of the field. East yeah. side of the field. East oh, side okay. of the field. Yeah. Okay. So at did the you guys time, have your own, did huh? you have your own chow hole over there? Uh, yeah, yeah, we did. I remember. Uh, yeah, you forget when you're deployed what day it is, except you know when it's Friday because that's surf and turf. <laughs> that's right. And I remember that's when we always said the Air Force were like locusts because they would just converge on our chow hall. Yeah. And okay. the sergeant major, being the sergeant major, asked the Air Force guys, "Do you guys have a chow hall?" Oh, yes, Sergeant Major. Is it good? Well, yeah. Then stay the fuck out of mine. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Um, But uh, I've got a couple couple notes here I'd like to hit you about. Then I'd like to actually get into uh, you've done some civilian medevac. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to take you out of Iraq or out of Afghanistan, but too early. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. uh, That was my first uh, deployment. Uh, We were um, at Kuwaiti Naval Base. we yeah. were uh, all the all the all the airplanes were all packed up, ready to get on a ship and everything. Right? Where did you go? We were four days from coming home, and uh, you know the commander. We didn't. I didn't appreciate him at the time, and it was really immature on my part to think the way I did of him. But I realized he was an amazing commander, and he was the commander that we needed. And I just can't imagine how tough it was for him to tell us that guys, we're not going home on Thursday. We're going back into Iraq. So we were, uh, yeah, well, we were still, I mean, and it was when he called us and told it, when he called us all together, it was about 2,100 and, uh, it was strange. And he says, guys, um, first of all, I said, I want to thank you guys for staying in the proper uniform, staying out of trouble and doing the right thing. Well, I remember thinking, all right, now, you know, you're not going to like what's coming because he never gives compliments. Mm, Here he comes. (laughs) And he said, guys, we're not going home on Thursday. I'm sorry. That's all the information I have. Call your families. The phone center, there was a lot of yelling. And uh, <laughs> and my wife, being the sensible one, she just, she would she wasn't happy about it, but she said, well, take care of yourself. And I, I'm still, a lot of us were still in a little bit of a denial because we thought, all right, this is just going to cost us another week or two in Kuwait. And they're going to do their analysis and realize that we need to come home because most of our aircraft had a lot of maintenance needed to be done so we were what they were one-time flighted to the port <laughs> now, weird so now what right one-time flighted to the port what are you going to do shit us a bunch of new parts and uh, uh oh yeah out there 
Yeah. That's uh we got all the parts and all the maintenance and uh for Weird. the first week or two, we the maintenance folks they pulled off a miracle. They got those aircraft ready to go. But we thought that, all right, another week or two in Kuwait. And uh, when they told us we're going to go down to the port and break the shrink wrap off because we're going back in, oh, shit. That was the oh, shit moment. And, again, it's it's comical now, but at the time it wasn't. They made us sit through group therapy before they gave us our weapons back. <laughs> Did Is that a no-shitter? Yeah. They, they had a uh, – <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. So okay. that right. was, uh, <laughs> that was interesting, but, uh, so, no. but well, our, uh, our sister company though, they had lost, I believe four aircraft and two crews and everyone kind of felt that we're going to be kept here until we lose somebody. And if I'm going to get it, I'm just going to get it over with. That was kind of where we were at mentally, but, oh, okay. uh, thankfully we did come on with everyone. Well, yeah, okay. So that was going to be my question, and you've kind of pre-answered it there. So, but did did you ever go into hot LZs? I mean, you hear about that with Vietnam all the time. Were you, were you taking gunfire in any of the places you, you were going to pull? More often than not, I mean, my personal experience, it was for the most part quiet. Um, it wasn't heavy. It was uh, there was some sporadic uh, times, and I know one time uh, it, it we were in route to what's called the POI, the point of injury. My co-pilot asked if they were still in contact, and he said he was about to say negative. He got the in out, and we hear shots over the radio. So, <laughs> <laughs> what was that? So, uh, yeah. That was just my squad mate uh, firing off firecrackers, not this way. Well, and I, I don't know, but it was it was just comical. It's like, well, we're still coming, but we just need to know where that's coming from. So, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but no, we, uh, but. I know one time in particular, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't me. I'd gotten off shift, but, uh, the fresh, uh, first up crew IED site, and they were directed to land the spot on the road. And as they sat down an IED went off right in front of the aircraft, that was, uh, most likely an ambush. They were just oh. waiting to pull a medevac in there. Yeah. So, yeah. and they got uh, out. Okay. They got out. Okay. It's just through, uh, one rock. Uh, shrapnel through the uh, cowling. The aircraft was okay, and the crew was. Thank God. Yeah. Well, then you then you got back, and are are you still flying? You're still uh, flying I'm uh, medevac, right? Yeah. No, I'm a uh, flight instructor. I'm an instructor pilot for the as a government civilian. Okay. In H uh, sixties. Yeah, H sixties. Okay. So in all in all, it was a two Iraq deployments as a medevac guy, and two Afghan deployments as an air assault pilot. Can you tell uh, tell we us the difference? Much about that? Yeah. yeah, tell us the difference. I mean, I, I uh, explain the difference between uh, okay. medevac well, and air assault. Okay, uh, let's see if I can uh, put this in layman terms without throwing out a bunch of acronyms. Uh, so, <laughs> medevac was a uh, if you get an injured soldier, civilian, whomever uh, you're called for, they need in route care, and you've got the giant red cross that's uh, supposed to signify that you're a non-combatant. And you have no combat multiplying weapons. And your job is to get them to the nearest uh, combat support hospital. So they need in route care. Now, air assault, that's where you're taking troops in and out of whatever objective they need to secure. And you've got two M240s on uh, either door, door gunners, as we're called. So air assault, you're carrying trigger pullers to do their job. Yep, that's a better way to put it, Fig. And medevac, you're pulling trigger pullers that have been wounded out. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so you are you have armament capability as a air assault. You got door, uh, you got crew chief with the door gun, and uh, 
And we've got another two uh, two crew members with guns in the back, two forties, and nice. uh, bypass and suppress. Their job is to shear our way out of there if needed. Okay. Having uh, been in a situation where I've flown into combat and had absolutely no way of defending myself other than my M9, I'm just going to make an assumption that what, which was a more comfortable mission for you to fly, uh, <laughs> medevac or air, air assault? Comforting, it was air assault because there's a lot of planning that went into that. You know, there was right. the time on target plus or minus 30 seconds. But now medevac, you just got a grid and a frequency and off you went. Yeah, that's that's some cowboy shit right there, buddy. Yeah. In fact, a lot of times, a lot of unknowns, my second tour in Iraq, I knew this was my last shift. The incoming unit was taken over. This is my last time on first up. And of course, two o'clock in the morning, you get the call, IED, and the uh, co-pilot, the crew chief run out to the aircraft, get it up to engine start. The uh, medic and myself run into the talk. I'm looking at the map. The medic's gathering patient information, and they give us a frequency and a grid. So I'm put this frequency and I'm trying to make contact with these folks and I'm not hearing anything. It's not the first time this has happened. You know, maybe someone wrote a number down wrong, but I can see the burning Humvee in the distance. And my guess is this is where we need to go. So as I'm circling over, these guys have a, uh, it looks textbook in how they set up the landing zone. But the problem is it was on a major road intersection with wires everywhere. And I, uh, as uh, I wires, you, you mean like uh, tele, uh, telephone, telephone wires, wires high tension wires. wires. Yeah, right. Okay. Okay. So that area, as I said later, I couldn't put a mini coop in there, much less Hawkus Maximus. So <laughs> staring down at this, we're trying to crack this nut, and I'm circling to figure out, all right, where are we going to land? And about that point, my crew chief yells out RPG. So I break left. I'm putting the belly towards it because I'm thinking if we take a hit, it's better to get in the belly where we've got some armor. Well, no, it wasn't an RPG. It was a parachute flare that... Uh, <laughs> They thought we couldn't see him, so the guy launches a white oh, parachute shit. flare. Yeah, and of course, this is going to happen on my last mission. Of course, yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, we uh, we evacuate the patient. Uh, he, we'd heard, I had heard later that he was going to make it, and we got him back there. But it took me a while to call. I had called around to talk to that unit to explain to them they need to rework their LZ marking procedures. Yeah, uh, parachute flare, man, yeah, <laughs> no. looks like a projectile, bro. Yeah, and we're low and slow. So I thought, well, the light's up. Well, that's it. Go toward the light. Hey, at least it didn't hurt. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, now, see, now that's a show title, too. At least it didn't hurt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I noticed that a lot of these things would happen toward the end of a deployment. And this is fast forward 2009. It was actually on Thanksgiving Day. We had picked up at a FOB Salerno. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, Fig. Oh, yeah. I've been in Salerno. Yeah. It's um, one way in, one way out. Yep. KG Pass, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> so as we had we had taken off, we're headed back to Bagram. This is at night. We're seeing some tracer fire. And as we got closer, we're looking. There's a truck shooting at a house. The house is shooting back at the truck. And there's someone standing off in the field shooting at the house and the truck alternating. And... <laughs> Yeah, we we just found that hilarious. Like, hey, probably a family dispute. Looks like we're missing family one hell of a party. Well, <laughs> that's when they heard our rotors, and all three of them started shooting up at us. They're like, oh shit, break right. <laughs> so uh, that party was invitation only. We were not invited. <laughs> only in Afghanistan can you have that family feud, and then now, okay, now we're all pissed at you. Yeah, that's exactly how that went. So uh, that was. I'll never forget thanksgiving of 2009 it was nothing personal just business <laughs> yeah, I, I was there in thanksgiving of 2010 
I was there. Okay. I was back for Thanksgiving in 2010. I, that was the holiday tour. Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's uh, uh, in yeah. 2010, 11. Yeah, during those years, that's kind of that whole couple of decades. It was just a blur. Yeah. 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 And that was a busy time right then. That was a busy yeah. time for anybody that wore wings. And there was a lot of air because the roads were too dangerous. Any, you know, anything that had to go anywhere was going by air, obviously. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, was, uh, during that deployment, that's when Bergdahl decided to take a walk. So right. yep. that became the main effort. Everything that was being done was stopped. He, he was the main effort. Looking for him. I, uh, yeah. Well, I never, I don't think I actually flew one of those. I was more planning by that point, okay. but uh, vehicle interdictions, any piece of intel, they were on it. And that guy became the main effort. Do you recall, did hindsight's 2020, do you recall? Did they know he wandered off on his own, or did they think he'd been? No, they they told us right away he wandered off. That that was that was known right from the get go to us. I don't think the press here in the states knew about that yet, but we knew about it. So, yeah. <laughs> so tongue bleeding. Trying not to. I hope not. Treason. But um. But no, that was. Uh, Back to the States, and uh, after that, I needed a break. So uh, my branch manager sent me to uh, Fort Rucker to uh, teach the Blackhawk course. Nice. Okay. And that was very rewarding. That was uh, – and one thing as an instructor, too, that I realized is, man, I had a lot of bad habits I picked up over the years. And I just didn't realize that until I became an instructor pilot. Oh, you had to go back and teach it standardized? And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, so, okay. So give us a bad habit. What was the worst and hardest? And Well, trying to uh, fly and come inside the cockpit and start flipping radios. I mean, okay. that, that was just one that that's a, that's a horrible habit. So you just learn a little more about cockpit management. There's been students where at a certain stage in training, man, I'd be better off with a bag of concrete in the other seat. Sure. <laughs> 200 pounds of gas, man. Uh, yeah. Well, but, you know, the first couple of classes, you're given to stronger students because by the time they get to us, they've already gone through primary instruments and basic combat skills. So, yeah, you're, you're teaching them their final weapon system. This right. Is, this, is, this is what they're going to fly. This is their airframe. This is yeah. going to be their career airframe. Well, the first couple of classes, you're given to stronger students. And as a new instructor, I finally said, hey, give me somebody I got to train. I want a challenge. Well, careful what you wish for, because they hand me his records and they were just bleeding red, all kinds of red ink. <laughs> I said, OK, right. I asked for this. As soon as I sat in front of him and spoke, man, he cringed like an abused animal. And I stopped. I said, it was a young lieutenant. I said, sir, you had screamers, didn't you? And he said, yeah. I said, well, look, I promise you, I'll never scream at you. And I'll never belittle you, but don't quit on me. I'm not going to quit on you. Took about a week to get out of his shell, and he wound up graduating. So that was one of my most professional accomplishments I'm proud of. That was good leadership exercise there, warrant officer. Yeah. Well, but again, I, I'm paying it forward, and it's what yes. uh, Vapor did for yes. me. So I was yes, able to pay yes, that forward. Yes. That's a Marine for you right there, bro. You can take the Marine out of the Marines, but you can't take the Marine out of the Marine. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that's something that uh, that's what we wear. It's just something about us. And as I say, we can smell our own kind. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, so had a good time doing that for uh, three years. Then back to Fort Bragg in 2013 to the 82nd as a standardization pilot. And from there, 
another Afghan deployment, and I retired from the Army in 2016. Okay. Well, thank you for your service. Indeed. Thank you. And yeah. Thank you, guys. And so is that when you became a uh, civilian instructor? No. After that, I started uh, flying civilian medevac. Right. But was it in North Carolina, or did you yep. go to some tropical location oh, far away in a, in a beautiful land yeah, yeah, it's called it's called uh, in Kauai. <laughs> yeah, it's called uh, it's called Fayetteville, North Carolina. That yes. was the uh, Vietnam. tropical Vietnam. paradise right there. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I know it well. It is tropical, <laughs> not as well as you, but I do. Know. Yeah, that was interesting. Well, the reason I said, "Are you nuts?" My, I could be wrong, but are, are not civilian medevacs helicopter? They're among the highest accident rate in aviation. I, I think statistically, it, it is. Um, and one thing that I had to get used to is flying single pilot. Oh, okay. That's a game changer. And also, too, no, it's, it's an it- Go with the collective. <laughs> no. And it's an interesting <laughs> dynamic because, you know, as the pilots and the mechanics, we belong to another company, say Air Methods, Metro, where in a hospital program, the med crew belongs to the hospital. So think of them as your customers as well. All right. Ah, All right. Okay. Uh, so... It's a, it's an interesting dynamic, um, but uh, I tell you, in the civilian world, flying medevac that was that was probably just as not eye opening, if not more, because in combat this is what you're expecting. But in civilian, you see a lot of these people that you know nobody woke up that morning thinking they were going to be flown to the nearest trauma center. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. That that was really really I have in fact I had a picture a medic gave me of a a car that was crushed like a beer can because the driver was texting so I would show that to my daughter I said this is what happens when you text and drive don't do it well, it'll never happen to me yeah it'll never happen to me what'll go wrong right yeah I had a lot of people in my aircraft that said the same thing <laughs> yeah. but it was good in the sense that you never knew what was going to happen that day it could have been anything. And and can I make an assumption? You uh, you you get a mission, and uh, you get a grid. Uh, you you get a street intersection, basically, mm-hmm. right? Some place parking lot, some place to set down, and you get the same kind of hazard. Nobody's shooting at you, but you still got power lines, light poles, trees, uh, overpasses. The same idiots, yep. idiots trying to help. <laughs> yeah. Idiots trying to help. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's um, <laughs> and one thing that I was happy to say is that never once was I asked to push weather. When dispatch calls you, is they ask for a weather check to a particular county, and they deliberately won't tell you anything about the patient because they don't want that to influence your decision. Okay. Because if they tell you it's a child, you may push weather a little bit. Interesting. Sure. That's yeah. well, that's brilliant though. Yeah. Really so, because do you, you know, have any? You know what? Because you can't help somebody tomorrow if you're dead. Absolutely. That's Absolutely. Right. And one good thing is they also have to tell you, if they ask you for this mission, they have to tell you that another base passed on it for weather. Okay. So it's really it's really a good safety system. But, it's uh, nice to hear that that's in place. Oh, yeah. and uh, I imagine that came, that's, that procedure, I'm guessing, is written in blood as many yeah, procedures are. Yeah, it, it's most unforgiving. But I always tell people that if it took me more than 30 seconds to make a weather decision, I probably wasn't going. Yeah. And, and the thing that was really different as a, uh, doing this, uh, under combat conditions was that in combat, you try, you give it the old college try. If weather, you try to creep around it, but something to bear in mind is that 
hey, all you're doing is delaying transport because we still have a ground ambulance. So if I say I'm going to take this mission, but I'm trying to hunt and peck through weather, you're just delaying transport. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Very good. Can I, can I make an assumption based on uh, one, one experience that I had uh, uh, w- with a civilian medic vet crew? When you were on call, on duty, you, were you paired with a nurse or a flight nurse or so for a certain period of time and uh, you were on call basically as a crew? Yeah, on a crew. We had a uh, – the way that the programs I worked for did it, we had one nurse and one paramedic. And one uh, program I worked for, the med crew was on 24 hours and pilots were on for 12 and another program I worked for, everyone just did 12-hour shifts. So it varied. Were the people that you worked with, were, were you working with any veterans? Oh, yeah. There, um, there were quite a few. And, you know, a few uh, Navy corpsmen. Uh, it was, uh, there were a few of us. It was really, and most of the pilots were veterans. In fact, I'd say 99% of us were uh, Army or Marine Corps pilots. I, I am, I'm going to make a statement. And, and you can feel free to chime in uh, and repeat this for you, too. Okay. When, whenever I'm crewed with another veteran, before we even get off the ground, I, I kind of know where I'm at already. They're a known yeah. entity to me. Uh-huh. I'm making some assumptions, but I've never been wrong. No, you're, you're absolutely right. There's a uh, it's something and it's just you just gel. You know, I know what he's capable of. He knows what I'm capable of. So it was really, I never thought of it that way, but you're right. It's just unspoken that, yeah. you know, most likely I can depend on him and they can depend on me. Yeah. It's, uh, and it's been like that uh, since, well, uh, at, at my civilian career from day one. If I, if I was flying with another military pilot, military trained pilot, um, veteran, I knew, uh, I, I, I knew what I had. Right off Absolutely. the gate. Right off the get-go. Absolutely, because at our core, we were kind of trained the same. Yeah. Yeah, it really didn't matter what service. Um, right, you know, right. But uh, like the fact I was flying with a fellow veteran. Yeah, in fact, it's comical because when I went to another program, my uh, my boss, my senior lead pilot, was an old uh, British Royal Navy pilot. And uh, he would uh, we would joke back and forth, but on the way to work, when I was going to relieve him, he called me in that uh, jovial Cockney accent of his and asked me how I like my tea. To which I would always say, I like it poured in the harbor. That's where I like my tea. <laughs> so he would respond, call me an ungrateful colonial, and we'd go back and forth on that. <laughs> there you go. Tell me, was he wearing a red hat with white letters on it that said, make America great Britain again? <laughs> he, he's, he was pretty conservative. In fact, uh, he, he said that I needed culture, so he left a cricket bat up in the office. And... Uh, I did actually uh, help kill a snake with it. So I told him, hey, I found a use for this cricket bat. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. That's awesome. Beautiful. All right. <laughs> so, well, it, it, uh, sadly, it's getting time to land this plane. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Funniest or scariest or most poignant moment in all of your aviation career, be it as an ordinanceman, as a, as a medevac pilot, as an assault pilot, any of these, which of these, what comes to mind to you, Kale? I had, uh, during a, as the one comes straight to mind during a civilian, uh, medevac, a gangland shooting. And, uh, this was relatively common for that area. They're calling multiple aircraft and they bring the patients 
to the hospital out front. I land on the uh, pad. I'm at idle. And the other aircraft hopped over to the airport. They're waiting for me to load my patients. So my nurse and medic get out and they hop into the ambulance and we're still on comms. Well, uh, fellow gang members are showing up in force and it looks like hospital security is getting overwhelmed. So I called to my crew. I said, hey, uh, be advised, you guys got uh, indigenous personnel surrounding the ambulance. And uh, so certain things that you're trained to respond. So I had to explain to our uh, older dispatcher what indigenous personnel was. And uh, (laughs) the other pilot, who uh, he was a Marine Corps Cobra pilot. He looked at me and said, are you going to start counting military age males next? What the hell's wrong with you? (laughs) I'm looking out for my crew, brother. Well, you know, you just go into automatic mode, right? And you go, yeah, it's just, this is what I'm trained to do. I'm given a spot report. (laughs) Right. But yeah, overall guys, I've been blessed with an amazing career. I've had a lot of uh, amazing mentors and, uh, you know, I really count that time in the Marine Corps. You know, my first uh, squadron commander was uh, too tall, Craig. And unfortunately, I don't think he's with us anymore. It was just, it's been a blessing. I, I've been blessed. Well, yeah, awesome. As we as we all have. Well, yeah. thank you. Thank you for yeah. all those stories and your service and doing this twice. Indeed. Do it twice. Uh, for yeah. Well, to the podcast version, we, we tried this once before. I was unable to recover the sound. We've changed services. We're now with StreamYard. So we get everything. Sounds great. <laughs> and so hopefully the sound is better in, in your ears as you're listening to this. Uh, I thought you guys were going to make me keep doing it till I got it right. We just wanted to get you out of the closet, brother. I'm just glad you're out of the closet, bro. I really <laughs> am you glad you're out of the closet. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm not going to live that one down. I was I was feeling really sad the whole interview the first time when you were in that closet. The perver- not the proverbial closet. You were in the No, I was closet. literally in the closet. He was literally in a closet. Literally. Yeah, and that, uh, that didn't to go the, the closet. Way it was, <laughs> the, 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 the Wi-Fi was all torqued up. And anyway, yeah, this and was so much better. Yeah, this yeah. worked out, guys. But thank you guys so much for having me. Well, you stay safe. You stay safe because I know what you're. I know what you're. Yes, thank you for your service. Still teaching people. Please stay safe. You you know, God, please don't let them kill you. And train good. Train good pilots, man. I know you will. I will. And you guys uh, also fly safe. You know, I'm looking forward to uh, hearing the next episode of your podcast. We're going to do some more of this, and we're going to have you back. In the meantime, after uh, saying thank you for your service, we also want to thank Dave Hamilton. Mackie Gab, thank you, Dave Hamilton. Hamilton. You are the man. Dave Hamilton is the man. And the Mac Gig Gab, which is not a Mac show, the Gig Gab, he's a musician. So that's a show for musicians. And the Business Brain, which is a show for entrepreneurs. Also, we have a glossary. So we mentioned a billion terms that we don't have on the glossary. If you don't understand a term you heard on this show, shoot us an email and we'll we'll get it up. We'll get it on. So there I was.us slash. Glossary. Easy for New you lips to tonight, say. apparently. Uh, easy, easy. Email. I'm going to put our email addresses on the <laughs> website. Two people have told me this week, hey, you know, you mention it all the time, but you don't have it anywhere on your website. So I'm going to fix that. It's repeat at so there I was.us, R E P E T E, sticks at so there I was.us, and fig at so there I was.us. Those are our email addresses. New this week merchandise so there i was dot us slash merch m-e-r-c-h pretty cool stuff we got cool cozy koozies 
mugs. Koozies. Is Locks. the bikini on there? And a bikini, baby. Because, you know, if there was a bikini there, I had to put our logo on a bikini. I love the bikini, man. I love the bikini. Because it was, you know, I couldn't get my wife to wear it. My daughter would probably wear it, but I'm not going to let her wear it. Yeah, get, your, get your ladies a bikini, and then we'll go from there. We have patrons who are supporting this show. So if uh, you think, feel like this show is a buck, buck and a quarter uh, to get out to you, hey, throw that buck and a quarter in there, please, and help us continue to bring all these great stories and these great aviators to you. Uh, it, so there I was dot us slash Patreon. You, you too can be a pilot at, so there I was. Thank you to our sponsor this week. And finally, Fig, who's that? Can you hear it? That is my it friends long? is the dose gringos, the two air force F 16 pilots that make the air force sound so good. They make them sound great. They they have great music. They let us use their music on our podcast. And they have four albums out, and you can't go wrong with any one of them. We've got to have them back. We've got to have them back. They were a lot of fun. They were a hoot. Yeah. Fig, until next week, do you have any advice for the folks who, uh, who are listening to me? Why, I would normally say check six yes. since we're with our, uh, our helicopter friend. Don't... Uh, don't sit on the collective, but uh, I guess we're saying check six. Check six. Yeah, do not sit on the collective. Don't sit on the collective. Please don't sit on the collective. I think I might actually leave that in and made it a show title. But Please don't sit on the collective, folks. Oh, don't do it. When you're not sitting on it, don't let go of it either. Folks, uh, don't let go of the collective. Don't let go. Don't sit on it. Crossing the pond And you could see that I wasn't exactly fun Of all the shit I was wearing On that day Now an F-16 is cramped enough But it's even worse With all that stuff Supposed to save your life But we knew there was no way Cause when you're going down The North Atlantic, man, it's over Hey, Fig, Repeat, what's saying? that? Did I lose you? We lost Fig. Oh. Yeah, he'll be back. What he said, folks. Did what he say, KO? Oh, it's over. It's over. He said it's over it's for oh, crying out Fig loud. It's back. over. <laughs> <laughs> Mistakes were made.